Welcome to Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Sharon has a passion for scripture that will motivate and challenge you to immerse yourself in God's word and apply his message to your everyday life. Visit SeekingTruth.net to learn more about bringing Seeking Truth to your parish or to become an online learner. Today, it's part two of the first book of Samuel, chapters 27 through 30, and now, Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Why then have you, Abner, not kept watch over your lord the king? For one of the people came in to destroy the king your lord. This thing that you have done, Abner, is not good. As the Lord lives, you, Abner, deserve to die because you have not kept watch over your Lord, the Lord's anointed, the Lord's Mashiach. Abner, you didn't do your job. You should be dead. And now see, see where the king's spear is? David has it. See where the king's water jug is? That was at his head. Everyone knows it. All 3,000 soldiers know it. Everybody plays the fool sometimes. David has King Saul's spear. David has King Saul's water jug. And Abner looks like a complete fool, his personal bodyguard. And 3,000 of Israel's finest warriors see that David's got the king's spear and the king's jug. David has entered into the camp while they slept. They all look like fools as well, all 3,000 soldiers. They have not protected the king of Israel. David, Saul recognized David's voice. He said, is this your voice, my son, David? And David said, it is my voice, O Lord, my king. David said to him, why do you pursue me? I'm your servant. What have I done? What guilt is on my hands? Now, therefore, let my Lord, the king, hear the words of his servant. If it is the Lord who has stirred you up against me, may he accept an offering. But if it's men, may they be cursed before the Lord. For they have driven me out this day that I should have no share in the heritage of the Lord. Go serve other little g-gods. Is that what you want me to do? Therefore, let my blood not fall to the earth away from the presence of the Lord. For the king of Israel has come out to seek my life as one who hunts a partridge in the mountains. He is feeling like a hunted bird by his own king. And Saul said, oh, Saul feels so horribly bad. Oh, I have done wrong. Return my son, David, for I will no more do you harm. Do you believe that? Have we heard that before? Saul's a liar because my life was precious in your eyes this day. Oh, behold. And Saul says, I have played the fool. I have erred exceedingly. And David started singing, everybody plays the fool. <laughs> right? Saul stated, I have played the fool. I have erred exceedingly. And David made answer, here's the spear, O king. Let one of the young men come and fetch it. He throws it back. And the Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and for his faithfulness. For the Lord gave you into my hand today. And I would not put forth my hand against the Lord's Mashiach. Behold, as your life was precious this day in my sight, so may my life be precious in the sight of the Lord. And may he, may the Lord deliver me out of all tribulation. And Saul said, oh, blessed be you, my son, David. You will do so many things and succeed in them. So David went his way and Saul returned to his place. Everybody plays the fool. Saul got fooled by David privately. Saul's men didn't know. Nabal is a grand fool and dies. Saul got fooled publicly by David in front of 3,000 soldiers. And Saul in this chapter is going to become a permanent 
fool. Everybody plays the fool. David knows his enemy, very important, and his enemy's a liar, and he has lied and lied and lied and lied. Jesus said to his enemies, you are the father of the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has nothing to do with the truth. There is no truth in him because he lies. His native tongue is lying. He's a liar and the father of all lies. That's the side Saul is on, the liar side. There are two camps here. David hears and obeys God's word. Saul repeatedly lies and lies and lies. Now, St. Ignatius of Loyola, who loved, who wrote much on the discernment of spirits, tells us that there are two camps or two standards, and you can't serve both standards. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or devoted to one and despise the other. So you have to choose in the spiritual battle, which side are you on, right? You must pick a master to fight for. There are two standards. These two men do not serve the same master, David and Saul. David said in his heart, I shall now perish one day. David doesn't believe Saul for a second. He said, I'm going to perish one day at the hand of Saul, even after Saul has made this big promise to him. There's nothing better for me than I should escape to the land of where? <laughs> the Philistines. He will escape to the land of the Philistines, and Saul will dis of seeking me any longer within the borders of Israel, and I will escape out of his hand. The only way David's going to feel safe is as he goes over to the enemy side. So David arose, he and his 600 men who were with him, and they went to Achish, the son of Maok, the king of Gath. Remember who was from Gath? Goliath of Gath. It's a big Philistine city, one of the top five. David dwelt with Achish at Gath. He and his men, every man in his household, and David and his two wives. We know Ahinoam, the woman from Jezreel, and also Abigail, his new wife, the widow of Nabal. And when it was told to Saul that David had fled to Gath, he sought him no more. Oh, finally. Okay, he's defected. He's gone with the enemy. Great. He's off my hands. I'm done. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. He does not think it's going to be a problem anymore. David said to Akash, the king of Gath, I have found favor in your eyes. Let a place be given me in one of the country towns that I might dwell there. For why should your servant dwell in the royal city with you? David is saying, you know, put me out somewhere, me and my men. Give us our own space. David had become a vassal of King Achish of Gath. What's a vassal? In the dictionary, it says it's a person in a subordinate position to another. He is at his mercy. It's also called a mercenary, a professional soldier hired to serve in a foreign army. That is what David has become. David is living with another enemy. And remember in 1 Samuel 21, when David was such a great actor and he feigned being a, ma a madman, that was to this king, this same King Achish of Gath. So we've met this king before. Everybody plays the fool sometimes. David played a fool in, in, in play acting, right? David's going to fool King Achish of Gath a second time, okay? David said to Achish, well, if I found favor in your eyes, you know, give me a, a country place. Give me a different place to dwell. I, why should I be in your royal city? So Achish gave him some land. It was called Ziklag, and it has belonged to the kings of Judah to this very day, and David stayed there for 16 months. A year and four months, David stayed in Ziglag. And there's where it's at. You see the Philistine territory. That's where David will set up shop. David and his men, they made raids upon the Geshurites, the Gizrites, and the Amalekites, for they were the inhabitants of the land from of old. 
as far as Shur, the land of Egypt. So you remember when the exodus happened and they came right through this area and they had to fight these different nations to get into the promised land. And now David is working for the king of the Philistines, the king of Gath, and David smote the land, neither man nor woman alive, but took away the sheep, the oxen, the ass, the camels, the garments, and would come back to King Achish of Gath. And Achish would say, against who did you make a raid today, David? And David would say, oh, against the Negev of Judah, uh, or against the Negev of the Jehimalites, or against the Negev of the Kenites. And David saved neither man nor woman alive to bring tidings to Gath, thinking, lest they should tell on us, like rat us out and say, so David has done. Such was his custom all the while while he was in the country of the Philistines. So David's living in Ziglag and fighting all these other enemies and bringing the booty back to the king of the Philistines. The king Ashkish of Gath trusted David and thought he has made himself utterly abhorred by his own people, Israel. Therefore, he will always be my servant. Hmm, nope. He's pulling one over on the king. What David is doing is attacking people that are in the Negev area, this desert, southern desert area, but they are all old enemies of Israel. In those days, the Philistines gathered their forces for war to fight against Israel. Oh, now the Philistines are going to fight against Israel. That's David's country. That's David's people. And Akesh says to David, understand that you and your men are going to go out with me in the army against Israel. And David said to Achish, very well, you shall know what your servant can do. And Achish said to David, very well, I'm going to make you my bodyguard for life. So now he's his Abner. David is going to be the bodyguard of the king of the Philistines. Now, meanwhile, back at Saul's ranch, okay, Samuel has died. Samuel the prophet has died. And all of Israel is mourning for this great prophet of God. And they buried him in Ramah. His tomb is still there to this day in his own city. And Saul at this time had the mediums and the wizards put out of the land of Israel. Okay. Saul has done something right. He has finally listened to the word of God. He has removed all the mediums from the land of Israel. It's according to God's word. The Philistines have assembled. At, they're camping close by. Saul gathers all of Israel. They're camping at Gilboa. And Saul saw the army of the Philistines, and they were massive. And Saul was really, 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 really afraid. And his heart started trembling greatly. He is filled with absolute fear. He's gripped by fear. 1 John 4, 18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and he who fears is not perfected in love. Saul is full of fear. Saul inquires of the Lord, but the Lord doesn't answer Saul. He doesn't have a prophet left to tell him what to do. Now he's trying to, to pray. He's never done this before. <laughs> the Lord's not answering. Who are you? I don't know who you are. He doesn't get any dreams. But those guys in the Old Testament, it's like they used to get dreams. You know, they could interpret dreams. Like Joseph, they had dreams. Can I get a dream? No. How about the, the Urim? Could I use the Urim of the high priest? These were two stones. They were called the, the lights and the perfections, a black and a white stone. And the high priest would carry him in his garments and it would help him decide some situations. He would pray and ask the Lord and it was kind of like a yes stone or a no stone or a true stone or a false stone. They would ask a... a bilineal question. He wasn't getting anything by dreams. He wasn't getting anything by the Urim. He had no prophets to, to talk to. Saul, Samuel's dead. So Saul said to his servant, seek out a woman who's a medium that I could go and inquire of her. 
wait a minute. He just said he, he got all mediums out of Israel. Now he says, I need a medium. And his servant said to him, behold, there is a medium at Endor. Well, I thought Saul had all the mediums put out of the country of Israel. Well, he's lying again. Endor is right next to Nazareth and Nain. You know those towns from the New Testament. Also, if you ever watch this show, Bewitched, she has a mother who's always a pain in the uh, side of Darren. And what's her name? Endora. The writers in the 60s were biblically literate. The witch of Endor. And this witch's name is Endora. In both modern and ancient times, a medium is a person who communicates with spirits. A medium is literally an intermediary between the spirit world and our seen reality. And there are many modern mediums today, and you should be aware. Larry King first started interviewing Sylvia Brown. Remember her? And when he would have her, she's from Kansas City. She's our neighbor. She was born in 1936. She was a self-proclaimed medium and psychic. And whenever Larry King would have her on, his ratings skyrocketed through the roof. So they kept having her on and on and on. She was a weekly guest on the Montel Williams show. She frequently appeared on Larry King. She had her own pay-per-view events to demonstrate her medium abilities. Later in life, in 1992, she was convicted of fraud and theft, and she received negative publicity, but still a lot of people followed her. She went through four marriages, and she received flack for several highly publicized false predictions. 204, she said that a missing woman had been murdered, and later it was discovered the woman was alive, hadn't been murdered. She died in 213. Next on the scene, in 1998, John Edward published his first book. You may have seen him on talk shows. When Larry King had him on, the switchboard was overwhelmed. He was extremely popular. He started writing books in the year 2000, and he went through every talk show circuit imaginable. He ran his own show for four seasons. He was the first guy to have his first syndicated TV show about psychic mediumship. He's been on Dr. Phil. He's written many books, and Dr. Oz has kind of adopted him now because he specializes in making connections with the dead. And he says he does this because it can really help survivors deal with their grief. Oprah has on many mediums. This is Rosemary Altia. This is Etta Smith. She often works with the police to help find dead bodies. And then there's the Long Island medium, Teresa Caputo, which just divorced her husband after 28 years of marriage. And she has a, a show, Long Island Medium, and she's in her 14th season with 87 episodes. So these are very popular. This is a medium to the stars, to the celebrities. This is Tyler Henry. He has a smash hit on E! Network. If you don't know him, I'm sure your kids do. It's a reality show. He counsels people such as the Kardashian family and many others. He works with them to be the medium to the stars. Many movies about mediums, and now this will start this Saturday the, the 13th in Britain called Psychic Private Eyes. Britain's best-known psychic mediums will be investigating murderous criminal cases, often where the dead are the only witnesses. So I just want to tell you, we have mediums too. To this day, no matter what the reason, the Bible condemns the practice of mediumship and attempting to speak to the dead. Through seances, any other means, it is expressly for 
forbidden. Leviticus 19, do not turn to mediums or wizards. Do not seek them out to be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. If a person turns to mediums, Leviticus 20, playing the harlot after them, I will set my face against that person and will cut him off from his people. Leviticus 20, a man or woman who is a medium shall be put to death. They shall be stoned with stones, their blood shall be upon them. Deuteronomy 18, there shall not be found among you anyone who burns his sons or daughters as an offering, anyone who practices divination, a soothsayer, an augur, a sorcerer, a charmer, a medium, a wizard, or a necromancer. This is pretty clear. Saul would have known all these scriptures. They're all in Torah. What's a necromancer? It's one who practices necromancy. A person who practices necromancy, a magician or wizard, a practice of black magic involving communication with the dead, either by summoning their spirits as apparitions, visions, or raising them bodily for the purpose of divination. Necromancy is sometimes called death magic. It's not a new word. It comes from the Latin necromancia, borrowed from the Greek classical literature, necromancia, dead body and divination together. It's a compound word. Origin of Alexandria used it way back in the third century. Uh, it appears in the Odyssey. You had to read Homer's Odyssey in high school or college. Uh, the Odyssey has a realm of the dead souls. There's necromancy. It started in Egypt, in Babylonia, in Rome, in Greece, in Persia, in Chaldea. It's nothing new. So we're seeing this today. What's the Catholic catechism say about it? That God can reveal the future to his prophets or to other saints. Still, a sound Christian attitude consists in putting oneself confidently into the hands of providence for whatever comes in the future and giving up all unhealthy curiosity about it. Improvidence, however, can constitute a lack of responsibility. I looked up improvidence as an adjective. It means not provident or lacking foresight in cautious, unwary. We have to be aware of these things because they're very deceptive and they're very clever and cunning and sly. And people get involved in things that they should have had some knowledge of. So that's why I want to tell you all forms of divination are to be rejected as recourse of Satan or demons conjuring up the dead or other practices falsely supposed to unveil the future, consulting horoscopes, astrology, palm reading, interpretation of omens and lots, and the phenomenon of clairvoyance which many of these mediums profess to be clairvoyant. Any recourse to mediums all conceal a desire for power over time, power over history, and the last analysis, power over human beings, as well as a wish to conciliate hidden powers. They contradict the honor, respect, and loving fear that we owe to God alone. All practices of magic or sorcery, which one attempts to tame occult powers so as to place them at one's service, to have supernatural power over others, even if it's for the sake of restoring their health or like making them feel better about their dead dad or their dead mom. They didn't get to say goodbye. They just want to say one more thing. Whatever the reason, it is not to be done. These practices are condemned and they can harm people. Ignatius of Loyola talks about good spirits and bad spirits, evil spirits, and those two standards. You either are moving closer to God or further away from God. You have to choose a master. Which side are you on? Spoiler alert for next week. Saul is going to die of his unfaithfulness. He was unfaithful to the Lord. He did not keep the command of the Lord. He consulted a medium. This is what 1 Chronicles 10 says. He's going to die because he consulted a medium seeking guidance. He did not seek guidance from the Lord. This is very serious. Everybody 
plays the fool. So Saul's really going to be a fool now. Saul disguises himself. He puts on other garments. He went and two men went with him. They came to the woman by night. Interesting. He's disguised and he's coming in the dark of night and he's not Nicodemus. Saul said, divine for me by a spirit and bring up for me whoever I name to you. And the woman said to him, to Saul in disguise, surely you know what Saul has done, how he has cut off all mediums and wizards from the land of Israel. Why then are you laying a snare for my life to bring about my death, says the woman. And Saul swore to her by the Lord, as the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Is that true? According to all those things I just read you, he's a liar. And the woman said, whom shall I bring up for you? And he said, bring up Samuel for me, the prophet Samuel, the dead prophet. He's dead and buried, we just heard. Bring up Samuel for me. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. Ah! You can just hear it. And the woman said to Saul, why have you deceived me? You are Saul. And the king said to her, have no fear. What do you see? See how curious he is? What do you see? Tell me what you see. And the woman said to Saul, I see a God, little G, coming up out of the earth. And he said to her, what is his appearance? And she said, an old man is coming up and he is wrapped in a robe. And Saul knew that it was Samuel. And Saul bowed his face to the ground and did obeisance. And the woman from Endor, Israel, she has acted as a medium, an intermediary between the living and the dead. At Saul's request, she has conjured up and consulted with the spirit of the deceased, condemned in Torah. She is practicing necromancy, the practice of the magic, black magic involving communication with the dead, either by summoning their spirit as an apparition, a vision, and ra or raising them bodily. This is an absolute abomination of God for any reason. No matter what the reason, God says no. Absolutely not. God has commanded us over and over and over again not to do this. God does that because he loves us. Because this stuff can really happen. It's true. If it wasn't true, he wouldn't care about it to protect us from it. This is real. Yes, this is real. It really happens. And God is protecting us, his beloved children. God is fighting. He's battling for our soul and the soul of your children. If you have any tarot cards or Ouija boards, get them out of your house. Burn them. God wants us to trust his word and his word alone. God wants us to obey his word, hear it and do it. God does not want us contacting the dead, even though it is possible in the spiritual realm. The spiritual realm is an unseen reality for that very reason. Kind of scares the hell out of you, doesn't it? People are so curious about it. For which we must trust God because as baptized sons and daughters of God, God only has our best interest at heart. So the devil tried to get Eve and Adam to think, you know, God, did God really say that? Oh man, he's not telling you the full story. Yes, he is. Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? He's kind of ticked off. He's in Sheol because the gates of heaven haven't been opened yet. They won't be open until Jesus is on the cross dying. Saul answered, I am in great distress for the Philistines are warring against me and God has turned away from me and he answers me no more, either by prophets or by dreams. Therefore, I have summoned you, Samuel, to tell me what I should do. Summoning a dead person for instruction. Absolutely forbidden. Samuel said, why then do you ask me since the Lord has turned from you and become your enemy? The Lord is now Saul's enemy, but you got to understand that right. Saul has freely chosen that. He has chosen that route. 
That's the side he aligned with. That's the standard he went under. Saul has freely chosen the opposite standard of evil. So that's on the other side of the Lord. The Lord has done to you as he spoke by me, for the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hands, Saul, and given it to your neighbor David. Just like I told you when I was alive. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord, and you did not carry out his fierce wrath against Amalek. What? That's a reason? Because you did not carry out God's fierce wrath against Amalek. Therefore, the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Well, who's Amalek? He sounds pretty important if that's why the kingdom's been torn away from Saul. Amalek attacked the Israelites at Rephidim, intentionally targeting the weak, the weary, the, the sick, the elderly, those who were lagging behind at the back of the line in the exodus from Egypt. When all those people left Pharaoh, in Exodus 17, the Israelites had not yet made it to Mount Sinai to marry God. It's Exodus 17, and they are attacked by Amalek and the Amalekites, and they hit the stragglers in the back of the line and just obliterate them. You might remember from our Exodus study, they intentionally targeted the weak and the backleggers. And when this happened, it's in Exodus 17, then came Amalek, he fought with Israel at Rephidim, and Moses said to Joshua, choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand at the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did, and Moses told him and to fight, fight with Amalek. And Moses and Aaron and Hur went to the top of the hill. And whenever Moses held his hand up, Israel prevailed. And whenever Moses lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. And Moses' hands were getting tired and weary. So they put him on a stone and had him sit down. And Aaron and Hur held up Moses' hands, one on one side and one on the other. And they held his hands steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua moved toward Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. And, and Moses, the Lord told Moses, write this down. Write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. The Lord God said that. Amalek must be blotted out for what he did to my people, to the weak and the poor and the stragglers. And Moses built an altar there that day and he named it, the Lord is my banner, saying a hand upon the banner of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation, Exodus 17. Now, the Jewish commentary on this says that God vowed that his name and his throne would not be complete until Amalek's name would be totally obliterated. Now, God's repeated that again and again, that Amalek was the first of the nations, but at the end, he's coming to destruction. Remember what Amalek did to you. Never forget, you shall blot out in remembrance of Amalek from under heaven, you shall not forget. God kept reminding them. So they're in this territory. David's at Ziglag, but David is fighting people like the Amalekites. That, that, God doesn't mind that. They're supposed to be blotted out. All these arrows are old enemies of Israel. God is so mad with Saul because in 1 Samuel 15, they had their chance to obliterate the Amalekite. Go and smite Amalek, utterly destroy all that they have. Do not spare them. Kill both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. They had their chance. That was part two of the first book of Samuel, chapters 27 through 30 on Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. To learn more about Seeking Truth Bible studies, visit seekingtruth.net. Tune in next time for more Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran.